0: Hey A1 fans, Andy here. We're going to Cisco Live and we can't wait to see you there. If we see you wearing an A1 or Cables to Cloud shirt at Cisco Live, we'll enter you in our giveaway that includes a bunch of cool prizes like an A1 branded Yeti cup and an OCG of your choice from our friends at Cisco Press. Don't have a shirt? No problem. Head to the link in our bio and grab yours today. See you soon.
1: This is the Art of Network Engineering podcast. In this podcast, we to explore tools, technologies, and talented people. We aim to bring you information to expand your skill sets and toolbox, and share the stories of fellow network engineers.
2: Welcome to the Art of Network Engineering. My name is Aaron. Uh, You can find me anywhere books are sold. Actually, that's not true at all. Um, With me, I have one of my favorite co-hosts, and I'm only saying that because no one else is here to hear me say that. Uh, And his name is Andrew Laptop. Hi, Andy. Hi. Hello, hello. Um, And we are running as a duo, the Dynamic Duo tag team back again. (laughs) and we have a guest with us and you probably heard his name before if, if you haven't you should probably download any social media app um and kind of get going with the whole 21st century thing um
1: <laughs>
2: and he's got, got one of the coolest names too uh bart castle how are you sir
1: I'm well. Hey guys, how's it going? Aaron, Andy, yeah. thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah,
2: uh, I was. We were talking about this before we started because I, I thought this was hilarious. That you know we've been doing this podcast for quite some time now, and I don't think if, if somebody's going to call me out on this, I know it, but I don't think we've <laughs> even mentioned the word cloud. Uh, like not well. We certainly <laughs> didn't mention it in a in a good connotation. I'll tell
0: you that because
2: <laughs> it would have been Andy cussing about it because you know.
0: That's just how he rolls sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, I actually manage networks, and it's hard, and cloud is part of it, yeah. so yes. You know, you know
2: I, and I'll be honest, it's confusing for me, too. Like, I've gone in there, I have, like, an AWS free tier, and they started charging me out of nowhere, and I was like, wait a minute, this isn't free anymore, that's not cool. And I wasn't even doing anything in there, so I'm like, ah! So I can see why uh, this would be confusing. Watch um, out. <laughs> right, exactly. So So here we are, a couple of networking dudes, trying to extrapolate as much cloud information out of you as possible but more importantly uh we just want to know how does one like yourself become so proficient in cloud so we're just going to kind of go through your story talk about what you did to get where you're at now and if you don't know um bart works at cbt nuggets he's the cloud one of the cloud dudes at at cbt nuggets if not the cloud dude the Um, cloud dude the cloud dude, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and if you don't have a CBT Nugget subscription, go get it now because you're also living under a rock. Um, but check it out. I have out. one.
0: By the way, the first time in my career, I bought one, and huh? I I'm I'm in I'm in love with it. Is it? I different? saw you tweeting about that. I saw that. That was good. It's well, it's amazing because like my new job. Not, this isn't about me, Bart, but I'm I'm my new job. I'm like there's six or seven different technology stacks that I got thrown into, and CBT hmm. Nuggets has training for all of them. Hot. So I'm just jumping around all the different nuggets. Like I can need a little DevNet Associate. need a little cloud. need a little, you know, Encore. Like it's just dabble. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of this subscription. I don't know how I went this far, you know,
1: in my career without it, but it's really helpful right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it so much. One of the things I love about that organization in particular is that they really value this this personality forward, fun learning experience. And I, I really I think that that hits home in a big way for a lot of learners. They really <laughs> appreciate entertainment and learning at the same time.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're a unique dude though, too. Uh, like we gotta be honest here. Like I, I feel like most of us are like, yeah, I'm pretty unique, but I, I'm, I'm comfortable in saying that you're one unique cat. Like, and, and I mean that in a good way too. Cause like there, there's so much about you that I, I don't understand because I'm not at that level. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not there yet. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm not Bart Castle. I'm like, uh, I'm like Bart Fortress right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get,
0: I'm gonna get there at some point. You're, you're the moat. I'm the moat. Yeah, I'm the drawbridge. Well, there's, there's so many trainers right out there that we've all yeah, watched, yeah. but th- then there's guys like Bart who are like entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. You could know, you be technical and know how to teach stuff. Bart, I've tried to teach stuff on my little YouTube channel, and it's boring. You, you know, like you're, I, 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 I'm trying. You know, I you push us beforehand. I'm like, I'm gonna be entertaining, mm. but. <laughs> I get ready. I get, we get, 15, get psyched up. Yeah, I get 15 <laughs> minutes in a routing protocol, and I'm boring myself. But like you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're entertaining to watch. Which again, that CBT Nuggets formula, it's it's really helpful to keep me engaged. You know, we're learning things that might not be all that exciting, and you guys make it entertaining, which is really helpful. So, oh man, I I love to hear it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So so speaking of so you 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 work at CBT Nuggets now. So start us off. Well, first of all, where do you live, so everybody knows if you don't yeah. mind saying.
1: No, I'm joining you all from Asheville, North Carolina, Ash Vegas, down here Ashe in the mountains Vegas. of uh, North Carolina. Yeah, good time. Nice A Little nice. Uh, the foothills of Appalachia. Is that, what, is that what you are? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I grew up uh, in Boonesboro, Maryland, on the Appalachian Trail, and I still live like 10 minutes from the Appalachian Trail, all the way down here in the <laughs> south now. And it, oh, wow. I never wow. go too far from it.
2: <laughs> so, so, okay, so you went to high school in maryland and then eventually moved so this is sure. let's just start there so so yeah. it, in high school had you had any sort of inkling that you were going to be i mean the cloud didn't exist in. I, i'm not trying to date you at this point but like
0: uh, uh, all of us sitting here <laughs> Ooh, there's no beep, way,
1: beep, 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 beep. yeah there's <laughs> do, yeah. We, there's do n- we need
0: to define the cloud because the internet existed and that's kind of a cloud right
1: Well, I
2: would say specializing. No, no, right, right,
1: right. right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, well, yeah, I I didn't really know about computers a whole lot back then. I I was into video games. Uh, I enjoyed playing things like EverQuest and getting online and downloading music. And, I, you know, so I was an internet kid. I, I grew up with chat. I was comfortable with that. I remember dialing up. I remember like queuing up downloads on Napster before I went to school so that yep. I could listen to them by the day yes. by the time I got home so that's <laughs> that's my generation there um but I honestly, I'm a musician and an artist. That's really what I identify as first. And so in high school, that's what I was doing. I was making music, drawing pictures, uh, wasting time and kind of having a, a, a good go of it. (laughs) But, um, come graduation time, my goals were to travel and that's what I did. I went on the road. I lived in a van for a while. I went out to Colorado, went out to Oregon. Um, I worked at a hostel outside of Yosemite for a while, working in the bar there, just having a great time meeting people. Uh, and for me, I, it's all about communication. I love chatting with people. And my mom, I get all that from my mom. She would talk to anybody anywhere, anytime. Uh, and so I just I really love it. I like to approach people and hear their stories and, and get that energy going between uh, especially international folks and people from different parts of the country. I just got hooked on that. So I've been moving around a lot since high school. Um and then after that I uh, ended up meeting my wife back in Maryland on one of the stints where I was home, and I had actually met somebody who got me into LAN parties, like playing games on small networks. So what we game were, playing, were you playing? Uh, we were playing like Battlefield 1942. Yeah. We yep. were playing um, Quake, and we were playing Unreal Tournament. This my um, guy. You know, this my fun guy. Fun games <laughs> like that. And, and my, this this buddy this this bro of mine in Colorado while we were ski and he's like, dude. We'll just build you a computer. I can get you parts, you know, three or five hundred dollars there. Let's build something for you. And so he showed me how to build a computer, and I was like, "Damn, this is like it's like building a house or building a car, which is what my dad does." And I was like, "Yeah, this there's parts, you put them together, and you can do some cool shit with it." So yeah. Fast forward, I went back to Maryland after that stint out west, and I was like, "Let's let's take a look at a computer program that I could get into." And so I actually went to a network technology uh, bachelor's program. Um, that was really, really accelerated. So they were all about crushing you through it. Uh, big focus on certification and job placement at the end of it. Okay. So I came out of there uh, as an MCP. I had my Microsoft certification for running Windows domains, and I had my CCNA and my Net Plus and my A+. Wow! Plus. So wait, you you went
0: from wonderlust traveling everywhere to I'm sitting down in a in a in a school and getting <laughs> to all these five certs,
1: certs. You know, is, yeah.
0: <coughs> is is meeting your future wife? Is that what? Kind of slowed you down and got your butt in school.
1: No, actually, I met her kind of towards the end of that okay. phase. Um, she was in a play with my sister in her college years, and uh, we just kind of hit it off. And then I I convinced her to move out west to me, so I went out to uh, with to Oregon immediately after graduating from that program. Um, went to Oregon and I got a job for Lithium Motors uh, where I was uh, a help desk technician. It was uh-huh, my first. Cool. My first tech job ever, um, but Lithium Motors had a big old fat fancy network that was national um, Huge, car yeah. dealerships. They have a lot of interesting use cases for tech. We had a call center. We had all the enterprise support infrastructure that went with that. So I cut my teeth there, and that's when I fell in love with networking. Really, I mean, I, I got into the Net Plus and the CCNA, but it was only because there was two programs to pick from: either networking or software development. Those were the two mm, courses tracks right, that they offered. Right. Yeah. So I got into networking and um, fell in love with voice over IP. So I started, uh, I, I did Cisco voice migrations for them and took all of their copper down and put them on a massive MPLS network running Cisco Call Manager back at 4.0, uh, way back when Call Mangler first came along. And th- this is kind of my best story about that adventure. I remember being at a help desk, closing tickets, slurping down. Uh, what were they? I think it was balls, that guarana drink that yeah, they had. Dude. yeah, dude. Drink oh, some- I love that stuff. <laughs> take you back. And I remember (laughs) seeing uh, the ADP techs. Uh, These are guys from ADP that worked for us. And Uh, they came in there and there was this one dude. He didn't wear a suit. He didn't have the tie on that we were all wearing. And he's over there mumbling about call plans and dial processing and spinning calls out this way and tail end hop off. And I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to come into companies like this. And be that guy right there. So I went and I started sitting next to him as often as I possibly could and was like, dude, show me what you're doing. How does this work? How do I get in your position? And wouldn't you know it, uh, within six months, I was the IP telephony administrator first ever at uh, Lithia Motors. And so I took on the entire enterprise network there at like, uh, I was 25 at the time and just started running the thing. And, and it was such a great experience. Call center work, um, supporting agents, supporting all the crazy calling paths. That you see in a car dealership support sales, the sales right. floor, the bullpen managers, um, IVRs that we ran. So they had all the cool stuff. It was a great place to learn, horrible place to work. Um, <laughs> so that was it. I got skilled and then I was like, all right, let's go find a cool place to work now that I've got some chops. And I also had a whole bunch of Cisco certifications by the time I left there. So um, fast forward after that, I moved up to Portland with my wife. Um, we had gotten married and we were looking at what to do next. Um, ended up getting into a little bit of a scuffle leaving that job uh, and landed with an IVR software development company in Portland that wrote voice telephony response software. And I became their network admin, which meant that I was supporting their enterprise infrastructure and supporting their software developers. This was my first chance to see source control, start seeing the pipelines that went with us. Uh, uh, On the same point, I'm running SharePoint, running Exchange, running our enterprise phone system that we had there as well as a staff of like 40 people. Mm-hmm. So cool little shop where I could wear a lot of hats. Yeah, me, that's always good. Yeah. Hey, wait, can you
2: explain what IVR is to everybody? So if, if they do not know.
1: Sure. Uh, so that would be like interactive voice recognition, uh, or voice response. There's a couple different ways you could spin it, but basically these are the touch tone menus or voice menus where you would call and say, press such and such for support, or yep. if you want to check your balance. Um, and we did, uh, voice systems for, um, half of the country's state government. So if you were ever in, in fact, right now, the company still runs it. Uh, if you're in Washington State and you're going over any of the mountain passes and you want to call for road information, we write that system. So it checks the weather, tells you what the what, what the passes look like. Um, it was cool. It was a lot of great integration work, which I think is an amazing way to learn a whole bunch of different yeah. technologies. Yeah. So yeah. kind of like running our company's networks, getting into other people's networks, solving their problems, getting upset about Oracle, learning you know, what Sun and Solaris was and all these other crazy pieces of infrastructure that I had never touched before. I just kept just gobbling it up as much as I could. It's a good gig.
2: Curiosity, it seems to be your, one of your strong suits. And it's funny because uh, uh, this gets echoed. I feel like almost every time we talk to, I mean, Andy, I don't know, just about everybody where <laughs> the the story is like, I saw a dude or I saw a a, a lady doing something and I wanted to... I wanted to be that person. Like I, that, I don't think a single person has not said that up until this point. You know what I mean? It's and it's weird when you think about it to me because, like, it's almost like it, it's weird because it's like, hey, that's kind of like jealousy in a way. You know what I mean? It's like it's like I want what that guy has, like keeping up with the Joneses type thing, right? But totally, it, like I want to ex- aspire to be that, but it's weird because we all get into these careers and then we see a person that's doing something that we had no idea was a thing. Like the the thing that comes to mind for me was, um, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong here, was like Mansoor story. Right. Uh, I think he said a, a similar thing where he saw a guy doing stuff and he was like, yo, what is that? You know, I'm tr- that's my best mansor. <laughs> <laughs> <It's like>,
0: that's <laughs> a pretty good mansor. It's a light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah. saw the guy sitting at the computer, said it was like the matrix and he's like, what's that? And yeah, same kind of thing.
2: Yeah. But you, like, you don't, you don't know that until, you know, you, you, you're exposed to other stuff like, okay. Like VoIP, like. To your point, there was only two paths like in, in college, especially in that particular one that you went to, that that training facility or whatever, but yeah. but it, there was always so much more. There was the VoIP guy, but the VoIP guy, I feel like especially <laughs> up until that point, actually, up until, let's just call it what brain. it is. <laughs> yes, but hold on. Let's just call it what it is because up until the last, I want to say up until maybe like five years ago, those dudes... And they were a, a group of folks that uh, it was like a brotherhood, like a sorority, you know, whatever you want to call it. No one knew what they did. Everybody just paid them and and just kept their mouth shut. You know what I mean? They're like, "Oh it's god, like- the phone system's broken. He, he you know, call Al, you know. And Al, poor guy, he's like 70. He's trying to retire, but he's the only one that knows how to work the phone. We all know the the the, the scenario. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? I have yeah.
1: images right now playing in my head. <laughs>
2: same, same, same. And and it's like it's always the same thing, but you were like to me, you know, like like I'll just give an example like when I was at cable Tech, I was I would see Al Come in, and I was like, "Dang!" Like I thought my job was cool because I'm like giving these people internet, and oh, I'm also giving them dial tone. But I'm at businesses, right, and they got to call a guy who's clearly much smarter than me to come in and type in something. And I'm like, "Hold up, this dude is like a grandpa." No offense, by the way. Like I, I just, I, I just want to clear that. Air with that you're a phone guy for one and it also if you're 70 and you're listening to this i'm so sorry but uh but it, i i was like no way this dude's smarter than me you know he, i you know I, i'm just looking at him and i mean this is just awful to say right but it's like i wow. mean i have i have some sort of like feeling that like hey i'm a hip kid uh, to your point i go to land parties <laughs> i set the land party up i know what i'm doing over here you know what i mean and i'm like i could do that i i, I it was it was less like jealousy and more like like kind of like if this guy could do it, I know I can do it type of thing. Do you know what I mean? And so <laughs> I feel like we've all kind of been in that situation at one point or another. But for some reason, the VoIP, the VoIP people, and it was even before VoIP, right? Like key systems. It's really telephony
1: in general. I, telephony I agree in with general. Some of those yeah, patterns, yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure.
2: Like especially key systems, and especially even just like you know sixty-six blocks and you know toning and you know all that kind of thing. Um, it's just a, yeah, right. It's just a rare, a rare breed of, of folk for sure, and and I mean that in a good way, by the way, because th- those that still do it, like it's it's only getting more complicated and more complicated. Like if you want someone to figure out like a puzzle, go find someone that does like call paths and. Uh, sets up IVR type situations like you were talking about and hunt totally. groups and all that kind of stuff and it's like there's nothing those folks can't figure out because <laughs> to me that's harder than than like routing and switching like there's just so much more that goes with it right and also folks are a lot more sensitive when it comes to getting hung up on or rather than like their pa- their web page not loading
1: they're like oh, oh, this right.
2: phone sucks this phone sucks it's like whoa dude it I'm came
1: shopping. with a high expectation of quality all across the board yeah right right stressful. Right
2: yeah totally oh so, let me
1: get my butt set yeah right like me, this like, thing in over here
2: and the image that comes to mind is is when um jim carrey's on top of the telephone pole and the butt set's like swinging you know what i mean right. exactly <laughs> uh, right god i hate that reference but here i am using it um yeah but so, those okay, things so, were pretty cool I don't, know, I don't know it was hey it so was all that work. stuff all sorts As of all that fun stuff. things so <laughs> your, your wife your wife's an artist too right because she said she was in a play
1: uh this that was in college she's a writer she's a freelance writer that's what she does now oh, wow. and she's actually a published author now she won a bunch of awards last year so i'm super proud of her yeah check out her hey. book it's called the seclusion it's a little bit of a what would the u.s do if we let all of this crazy stuff go too far very dystopian mm. um uh, i've like been it. a did great she won the national indie authors award so uh we love it we get we got a lot of artists at home and that that's part of what's shaped our careers we're both really flexible people we don't we don't really work for other people. Even at CBT Nuggets, I still run my own consulting company on the side here. And I keep a handful of clients going on that that are choice, that have nice gigs and things that work well for me. But right. I still try to stay involved. I think that's important as a trainer.
2: Yeah, right. That's a good point, right? Because, you know, you it, not saying that things would pass you by or pass you up, but you know, you do get a little rusty, right? Like your chops. I mean, you're a musician, right? Like it, it, yeah. it would be equivalent to like just giving kids guitar lessons all day, but never sitting down and like jamming yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that's and, a great and analogy.
2: And it's hard to do though. It's hard to it's hard to come home and jam when you've been teaching guitar all day, right? It would
1: be. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's exactly where I am with it right now. And I, I suffer a lot of wanderlust. I like a lot of shiny things and I move in different directions, as you might imagine. And tech is always... Rich with places to distract you.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's actually a unique uh point of view there. Obviously, you're you're keen to it because it's your life. But I'm like just kind of putting two two together. I'm like the fact that you were just kind of like all over the place, like geographically, and you know, you know, just not necessarily like you were looking for something. It seems you know, it's just like you know, you just enjoy being out there and seeing new things. And yeah. the fact that you found yourself in tech, like that that just fits perfectly because it's the same mentality. It's like you won't get bored, right? Nope. There's always something else that's coming down the pipe. It does not
1: sit still. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Especially in your specific, uh, discipline in sure. the cloud, which
1: I know I still really don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> well, we're yeah. getting up to that point. So so the last part of it is I had another moment like we were just talking about. Uh, yeah. I'm sitting in a training session watching. Uh, it's a session on Avaya Systems and Session Manager, which was a SIP platform that they offer. Yep. Um, learning about SIP and loving it. Very cool. I, I was just blown away when it came out. I had been doing H323 for so long. And to see SIP be able to normalize all of the signaling between these different different controllers. Very powerful. But anyways, I saw the guy teaching and he's like talking about riding motorcycles around the country and doing fun stuff that I was into. And I'm like, again, how do I do this? I, I even <laughs> found the email the other day, like where I wrote the trainer. And I was like, I'd love to know how you do this. And he's like, dude, you were good in class. Um, send me your resume if you're interested and I'll I'll hook you up. So I ended up working for Global Knowledge uh, and left that training company or left that IVR company. And I went to work for Global Knowledge as a full-time trainer. Um and uh, that's where I kind of got into running my own consulting business. And I grew into the cloud space as a result of them saying, hey, what about teaching some AWS classes and some of these cloud classes? We have a huge demand for it. Would you be into it? And I got to looking at it and I was like, wow, this isn't I thought cloud was this weird thing Like I maybe seen it on the horizon. I'd heard people talking about it. I had used AWS quite a bit at our previous company to kind of play around with it. But even then, I wasn't really thinking of it as like what we think of as cloud right now. Office 365 was just barely making waves at the time when that was happening. Hmm. So anyways, fast forward, and I kept following my way through global knowledge, getting certified in different vendors, started working in the AWS space and supporting some clients along the way there. And then fast forward now, that's been about eight years ago now since I became a full-time trainer. Um and the, I think the biggest thing to get back to like, what is the cloud? It is all of the things, man. If you're doing networking and you're working with network attached resources and systems, uh, that is cloud computing. And I think that's one of the biggest things for me as a trainer is that a lot of people know more about cloud than they think they do. You mm-hmm. might not know all the vendors yet, but you're still very familiar with the principles of automation or virtualization or mm-hmm. wide area and local area networking. These are, mm-hmm. these are the, these are the underlying technologies, the rest of it. It's just a bunch of software and applications that live on top of it. So that, that for me, I realized that I was actually in a really ideal place. I'd run virtual infrastructure for many years on VMware and on, this was before ESXI was even around yet. Um, and running some of the, what was it? I think KVM that we were running for a while there, uh, Zen, uh, not Citrix, but the original Zen kernel parts mm-hmm. of it. So doing that work and, Starting to transition into the cloud computing piece, I realized that I really wasn't transitioning as much as I thought I was. I was just working with different vendors at that point. So that's one of the beautiful things that I love about cloud computing and where I am now is that it is not a piece of the technology pie. It is the entire thing. I mean, you can touch anything you want. You can get into analytics, you want to get into security, you want to get into applications or serverless software development, or if you just want to help organizations run their traditional monolithic applications, then a career in cloud computing gives you a chance to do all of those things and transfer around to different companies and different industries and even different roles in those same companies um, by taking the cloud avenue. So it's it's kept me and continued to indulge my curiosity.
2: So, I mean, like saying that like you're in, so, okay. So if I like work in an organization or whatever, and like, let's say I'm the, the cloud, I mean, is there a cloud guy like at, (laughs) at, at an enterprise? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, Oh, I'm the, I'm the cloud guy. Right. I mean, or is it just (laughs) like, like you just said, is it because it's like the part of the networking guy, part of the software development guy? Like.
1: Uh, the short answer is yes, you will see that. Um, what I originally started with was trying to teach people how to use the tools. But the longer I spend in the cloud computing career, uh, the longer th- that I do this, the more time I spend talking to the business side of the house and mm-hmm. saying, you know what, if that's your approach right now, you're missing a large part of the conversation. Um, moving to cloud using whatever tools you're using already you're probably just going to perpetuate a lot of the problems you have already. So if you're not looking at how this can help you innovate and uniquely solve problems in a new way, then it's just another hosted data center that you're talking about. And you're not really talking about uh, the growth and innovation or the changes that you might really need to make as a culture in your organization. So if you're asking, uh, is it somebody that we need to create? Oh, we need to hire a cloud guy. You might have already missed the point of what we should really be talking about. So I spent a lot of time backing people off of that ledge and saying, all right, let's go back to business objectives. What is your key demographic? What is your key uh, output? What is, how does it drive your revenue flow? And going back to the business objectives and saying, we want to make sure that you're using the right tools in the right way and paying for them in the right way to get the best value uh, for the organization. So that's really where I am now is having a lot more of those cloud vision and strategy conversations with organizations that and doing a lot of security auditing because people throw stuff into the cloud and then they realize that they don't know what they're doing. They get audited and things just start falling like dominoes. So there's there's a lot of easy pickup work for me to get in on uh. just explaining cloud services to their internal auditors so that they know what questions to ask their teams. Um, and those things just kind of happened organically as a part of working with these different vendors and then working with different clients that are using their services.
2: So because well, so, Andy's the cloud guy, he doesn't know it. He doesn't know, it, but he's the cloud guy. Actually, he does know it. He just doesn't know what the cloud is. You said a couple of things in there that made me think of Andy, like right away. It's like, that, like right at the beginning. It's like, oh yeah, somebody just kind of gets thrusted into it, and you know, hey, we're the cloud. But I'll, I'll use him as an example as well, when because you were you were talking about security and audits and stuff. This guy right here works in probably one of the most heavily audited secure. Mm. situations because you know he does uh, he works for a financial institution right so okay moves lots of money around right so it's big it's big stuff and the government's gonna come after him and not the hell out of him for whatever reason <laughs> just because they get, need to pay somebody with our taxes <laughs> um, but that being said like was there a period there where people were afraid to go to the cloud because of that because it's scary in a way because like I think the the thought process is this it's like Okay, if it's the idea is that it's readily available to me wherever I am at any time and it's and it's resilient meaning that there's probably duplicates of stuff everywhere, doesn't sure. that just open the door for, you know, more opportunities to come and grab my stuff,
1: right? <laughs> Sure. Well, then you pair that up with people throwing terms like public and private cloud around. Like, oh, you can oh, either put it in a safe place yeah. or you can leave it sitting on the street out here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, wait a minute, hold on a second. <laughs> you guys yeah. use public banks all the time and you don't see a public institution as a bank in that light yet. That's exactly the characterization that we have of public cloud vendors is that there's this laissez-faire approach to just allowing everyone to peruse each other's stuff. And <laughs> it's like, yeah. whoa, whoa, hold on a sec. We're Yes, it is multi-tenant. There are many people cohabitating the same infrastructure, but there are a lot of isolation and segmentation mechanisms that have been employed um, for a number of reasons, not just for the customer's interests, but for the interests of the provider as well. Uh, and probably the biggest thing that I try to encourage people to recognize here is that when you're working with, and I would say with a disclaimer that most of the time when we say public cloud, people are thinking Azure, they're thinking AWS, they're thinking Google Cloud, the yep, big infrastructure, think. the big infrastructure class ones. OK, and and a lot of times, if you're moving to infrastructure as a service, it is not about chasing value from a monetary perspective. OK, it's often about perpetuating what you have already. Uh, I almost always go with the rule of follow software as a service. If you can't do it with software as a service, you need to double challenge yourself to prove why you need to go to an infrastructure as a service provider. Um, it's a really big kind of pet peeve for me. So explain that.
2: Because, uh, well, OK, so keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't said the word cloud once in six months. So, uh, <laughs> so when, you, so when you say, think about it from a, a software as a service rather than an infrastructure as a service, first, sure. let's, let's just talk about what the difference is there. Because I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I know, and I'm, I'm going to speak for Andy. I'm, i he thinks he probably knows too. Right. I, so collectively we think we know. Um,
1: <laughs> but, but what, what would, what would you say? Okay. So I, 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 first of all, I'd try to encourage anybody who's getting into this field to immediately go and read the National Institute of Standards and Technologies publications. There's two major ones around it. The first one is about service models and deployment models where they lay out definitions of what it means to be at the infrastructure platform or software as a service level. Hmm. So typically you're thinking about management layers. You're thinking physical resources, data centers, locks, doors, server racks power, heating, you're moving up into hypervisors and operating systems, you're getting into uh, applications that run inside of them, you're thinking about authentication and data and users that live on top of it. As you move between those layers, infrastructure is the one where you're basically getting uh, virtual machines and virtual networks to go and configure to your heart's content, just like if you were running it on VMware. If you're going to software as a service, you're getting a turnkey product that is generally going to be available over the web. It could be software that you're downloading, installing. Sometimes it's just a licensing option. The point is that the administrative layers that you're dealing with are drastically reduced. So you're down to the point where you're just consuming the application levels and you're not thinking about a huge section of all those other administrative layers underneath of it. And that's exactly why I say start at the top. If it's not SaaS, then you better be careful about picking the right platforms and infrastructure that you choose to do battle with because the returns there are marginal and difficult to come by, and they require a lot of optimization to get it right. And a lot of our legacy systems, they're not very cloud friendly. Uh, so unfortunately, I do spend a lot of time trying to talk organizations out of moving things to the cloud. It's usually uh. one of the, the more important things I do as a solutions architect to say, that's a good fit. That's a good fit. These 12 other things you were talking about, keep them in your own data centers for now. For these reasons, wait till the timing is right. If it's not high value and low risk, Call me when it is, um, hmm. because that's. I mean, that's kind of where I'm with it. I can be kind of hard because we're on this this fun environment right now. But that, that's those are the lines that I try to draw and get uh, new solutions architects thinking about. And you need to be able to justify that stuff to them, which makes it a tricky field to be in. Uh, if you don't understand some of the limits to your applications and infrastructure, moving yeah. them to the cloud is only going to accelerate many of those problems, and you could get yourself a really big fat bill at the end of the month and it's not going to be better. So I really have to be careful with like where okay. you go, when you so pick why,
2: it. Uh, th- this is, this is, brings up an interesting point then, because you know this is the the bright shiny object. It, it's still, it has been for gosh, like 15 years now, I feel like people are like, ooh, we're gonna move to the cloud, or whoa, we're not ready. Uh, so, so, so well, <laughs> yeah, they, that's how that's how they sit around the big round table. They just sh- <laughs> shake their shoulders back and forth. Ooh, we're moving to the cloud. This is exactly <laughs> how meetings go. <laughs> <you've never> <laughs> <anymore>. <laughs> yeah, Give me a project manager cloud. stat. <laughs> (laughs) Everybody get on board. We're going to the cloud. Uh, So, so look, okay. So that's probably part of the
0: issue, right? Because like all these people, Bart Bart's talking to, these are all like executives, uh, decision makers, and they all go to the same meetings and read the same magazines or whatever. And, yeah, you know, the cloud's shiny. We got to be in the cloud. Our competitors are right. in the cloud. We got to go there. It's kind of interesting. I never thought that like a cloud guy like yourself would be talking people out of yeah, it. Yeah.
2: So give us an example then. So so if you, I mean you don't have to name names obviously or, or give us ex- sure. specifics as to who did what, but but okay, g- can you give us like an idea of like when you would tell someone to pump the brakes and not move through the cloud? I mean, is it is it generally like a, you guys are using? this much of your data center and it's like why move that because you're not you're going to be using that much of a cloud compute space anyway i don't know walk us through kind of like a scenario if you would
1: um so i usually go back to one of the hardest things to try to quantify in the tech space and that is total cost of ownership if you've ever been a part of any Mm -hmm. sort of like tco analysis process it is the absolute pinnacle of herding cats and gray area and nebulous divisional, uh, like like uh weird definitions of which team owns what and how that depends on another and how do you attribute that back. So if I, first of all, talk to an organization that understands and can really navigate their total cost of ownership, that is a good sign right out of the bat. If they really understand how their individual business units leverage a piece of technology and they also have built the right complementary um internal billback, chargeback models, or financial allocation models to support identifying where money is actually going from a technical perspective, those are all really good signs. If you're walking into an organization who's still kind of like, ah, oh, we're just putting some virtualization together, it's been a good time, we still own all these data centers, and they're still kind of big hammering, future-proofing their purchases, like buying the largest systems, implementing the most, I don't know, fail-proof redundant design that they can. Um, Those are really big trouble signs for me. The biggest concern for me is that the business has not really uh, enabled the technical teams and business teams to identify where costs actually live. And so it's going to be really hard for me to demonstrate why we should move a particular system or service to the cloud if I can't show you the technical value of it or the business value of it. So those are really the first trouble signs for me. If an organization can't bring me that sort of info, then we need to go back to the discovery analysis and evaluation process like tenfold. A good example of this wow. would simply have to do with uh, a lease. Okay, You would buy a server, it came with a lease. Okay, It doesn't mean that moving the systems that run on that server is a bad idea. It just means that maybe the timing is not right. And so if you still have a return on that investment that's happening, or you Mm -hmm. haven't realized the return yet, then we don't just evacuate because you're still working that timeline. And we also recognize, too, that if there isn't enough value, then we don't want to introduce additional risk. So these are all things that I kind of get them talking about. We contrast that against... What if we could go to using a software as a service solution where we only had to move the data part of it and we could just second, uh, just kind of cut off that portion of the infrastructure and stop using it. If it's a real clear cut, yes, we can turn it on and off. That's a pretty good fit. That represents high value, low risk. There's really clearly defined transition window opportunities that they already kind of have an understanding of. Those are all really encouraging signs for me. And often, uh, it's not the most important applications in their environments that should be moving. This is why things like Salesforce CRM <laughs> are such a popular platform because it's, it's a commodity style service that lots of organizations use and they can get a big value out of leveraging the expertise that those vendors have without having to go and skill their teams up, without having to go and buy mm. infrastructure and install it and then maintain it, yada, yada, right. yada, back to cost of ownership. So, For me, it all goes back to TCO. If you can't bring me compelling TCO results to begin with, you should probably pump the brakes there and go into a mode where start new deployments, look at the high-value, low-risk opportunities. So I would say doing pilots, doing anything that is a fundamental capacity planning problem for you, things that are going to be extremely short-lived that you're not sure that you want to use yet, run those things in cloud providers, Find out what is good and bad about them and turn those things off and stop using them Uh. or go into a mode where you're finally ready to do a real pilot that shows you and you can actually contrast against platforms that might run that for you. Uh, Mm. Running Microsoft Exchange is such a textbook example of this for me right now. Um, Lots of people run Exchange servers. They've been doing it for years. But Office 365 is an almost clear-cut, open-shut when, especially right. when they've already addressed all of the active directory dependency problems that go into getting that authentication layer to work right, right, which is one of the biggest hurdles early on. So things like that, when it's a clear path, that's when I would encourage them to go to the software as a service solutions. On the infrastructure side, if you're not in a position where you're willing to turn the entire data center off and just commit to a giant vendor, um, then you're probably in one of the gray areas. And that's where most of the companies that I talk to on a regular basis are. So that those are just some simple examples and some of the red indicators that I look for when I talk to teams. Um, yeah, if they so know you what you're doing. No. That's you say a good no thing. a lot.
2: <laughs> like like you walk into places and you're like, nah, this nah. Because they're like, hey, first of all, you're cloudbart. You're here for you're here for something, and with, and I'm gonna guess that it's cloud. So, <laughs> so, so like, cause like just hearing you talk kind of blows my mind. I'll be honest with you because I've talked to a lot of CIOs and a lot of CEOs throughout my career, and I'm gonna just throw this out there. I'm willing to bet that you've walked in and given that spiel before and just completely gotten smoke to come out of their ears because. <laughs> And these guys and gals are, you know, CIOs and CTOs and CEOs and CMOs and whatever, you, whatever you want and C levels, C levels, yeah, the C suite. Oh, it's not That's really right. sweet. Get out of here with that. They're in the C basement, the C dungeon. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, if you're telling, if you tell somebody, because this, this is where I'm going with this. So you walk in, they're like, all right, we got Cloud Bart coming in. You know, we're, we're going to talk to him, obviously, about cloud because you know cloud bart um (laughs) and you walk in and you're like "Eh, you guys don't need the cloud like what what is happening in those conversations when you're just like nah (laughs) like are they getting offended because you're like you ain't ready for this like (laughs) like how do they feel
1: about that Oh yeah. Well, you know, the truth is that I, I very carefully select clients now. Um, uh. I look for trouble signs like this. There are some particular industries that are just going to be trouble. Just no Okay. To. Like what? I mean, I steer pretty clear of the finance, uh, world. It's not that I wouldn't be willing to work with them. I would rather help them audit and do things that are more like complementary to what they're already doing as opposed to like big picture discussions. Um, I just always run into problems with things like that. Uh, I tend to work a lot more closely with software development companies these days. That's usually the ones that I try to seek out more often, especially if they're smaller and they're more agile. I just think in a lot of ways, the wins that they have available to them and the lack of uh, encumberment that they generally represent. Those are good signs for me. Uh, Also, the malleability of the organization So I generally look at factors like that before I try to engage with a client because I don't want to walk into rooms like that and have that reaction. I've seen that happen. I've heard lots of other horror stories from a lot of other peers that see that happen as well. It's a great way to earn business for yourself because quickly you find yourself either kicked right out immediately or you find yourself working with that client for many, many years to come. Because you're so
2: trustworthy at that point, right? You're telling them the truth,
0: which is- You're coming straight.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean whether they want to hear it or not.
0: <laughs> so yeah. I, I have to ask and dig in, but dig in carefully, just because of the <laughs> industry I'm in. So why, why specifically do you avoid finance? What, what, what makes that vertical such a nightmare to, to work with?
1: Um. It's not even so much that it's just finance. It's that I find that in order to uh assuage some of the concerns of those organizations, it helps to contain, it helps to maintain some additional certifications and visibility um around some of the reporting that has to be done, some of the standardized auditing that has to be done. And I just frankly don't maintain all of those pieces well enough. It's the same reason why I don't work with a lot of defense organizations. Right. I don't have security clearance to work at some of those levels. Mm, right. So I usually just kind of avoid some of the lo- the higher ability logistics of it. Gotcha. It's Not that I don't think I have something to offer them. It's just that I don't really need a six-month ramp up for, you know, a four-week consulting gig. And I've done that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will probably do some of that in the future still. But that being said, I've had some gigs with companies like Visa and some of their card processing and payment processing divisions as well. And they're great companies. But I tend to... At this point, I'm in with them now, so they can kind of slice me off a chunk with one of their different partners that they work with, and there's a whole lot less startup time for me. So working with organizations like that has helped, but it's already because I have a relationship with them that smooths some of that entry. Uh, I'm just kind of sensitive to that. I'm also juggling things here, so I'm trying to be realistic about what I can do. I don't want to compromise quality of work with um, too many too many efforts. I'm a father and a parent, sure. too, so I don't want to right. Right. try and think about those things as well, quality of life.
2: Oh, Andy knows all about that. He, you just struck a chord with him. He's like, how do you do it? How do you do it, Bart? Teach
1: us. He's about, Andy's <laughs> about to move his right? whole family. <laughs> He's
2: moving his whole family to the cloud, if you convince him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that being said, um, another client that I have was another really big payment uh, competitor. And one of my favorites to work with, they're a really high profile AWS customer. And those guys are amazing. The way that they rolled it out. Uh, for them, they started by really upskilling the security and the network teams. Those were the two teams that went cloud first. They went and they got certified. They established standard operating procedures over how deployments would work. And what that did was it made it possible for the other divisions to onboard in their model of using the cloud rather than jumping into some vendor's model that they had designed. And I think that's fundamentally the big problem here is with software as a service, you show up and you get the thing they hand you out of the window. But with infrastructure as a service, you are crafting the experience from the ground up, the deployment, the policies, the processes. And if you don't have all of those pieces in line, it's like walking into a giant Sam's Club and saying, oh, I guess I'll just buy a little bit of this here and there. You're not. You're <laughs> going to end up with all of these boxes of paper towels and giant jugs of orange juice. And you sampled everything that you came across. And before you know it, you f- you forgot what you walked in the store for. And all right, it happens all the time. But policy first and top down envisioning of cloud purpose uh, is always paired with success um, when it comes wow. to like these big migrations that we hear people talking about.
0: What do you think yeah. is the biggest, you know, so somebody sells the idea of cloud to all these folks, right? Is there like a top three, like in my, in my mind, like you go to cloud, you're going to save money, but I've been told by people with experience, not so much, Mm-mm. right? we got to watch out for that. But isn't that a thing people say, right? Like, oh, go to the cloud. You're not managing your infrastructure. It'll, it'll be less expensive. But Once you get in there and you're using it and utilizing <laughs> it, it's kind of a break even almost,
1: right? Um, I would say that if your teams recognize where to optimize and they've done a good cloud fit analysis, it's certainly reasonable. Um, one of the biggest concepts that uh, I was just joking about spot instances. Have you ever heard this term spot? We heard about that Mm-mm, before? No. No. Okay. Basically, they're like impermanent virtual machines. AWS is like, okay, so we've got thousands of customers. They use stuff kind of randomly. We never really know how many they're going to be needing, and it's a capacity problem for us as a provider. Right. So we're going to incentivize Aaron and um, Andy to use our surplus resource, and we're going to make it available to you at a discount. That's the incentive. But, we might need those resources for top-paying customers, so we're going to reserve the right to pull those resources back when we need them. Ah. Alright, now now this is usually the part where everybody's like, ah! You know, like, they're gonna, they're gonna shut my servers off. And it's like, (laughs) okay. But think about some of the strange little auxiliary tasks and workloads that happen in an enterprise data center and how infrequent or how um, not consistently they are executed and in they don't run all the time. Like transactional sure.
0: stuff and finance is an example.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, quarterly stuff, things that come only during report times right, or only right. at business year end. A lot of great examples. College admissions is another one that I talk a lot about as well. Um, anything that has a weird seasonality or, the bigger term is, it does it represent a capacity planning problem for you and your team? If you can't justify buying and owning and running an asset for at least 70% of the year, odds are you could probably turn it off and there would be some win that comes from using a cloud service. So this is the point where I start talking to teams and the operations folks and saying, well, can we turn them off? Is it possible that we could downscale the size? What if we run a fleet of them that are smaller uh, and you can lose some of them along the way. How do we remove some of the dependence on this this beautiful thing that we call him Bob? He's a very nice server. We've had him around for a very long time. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> we're putting that server down, and we're going to make that oh, a task. No. <laughs> oh,
2: a task no. that we can run
1: on any server. That's what I want to see. So that's the, they call it pets versus cattle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so if you hilarious. want to bring all your pets with you to the cloud, watch out, because that, that is going to be trouble. It'll be humorous. Yeah, Uh, I know some great server names that are out there. I know we had a lot of fun naming our systems back in the day. But uh, in the end, what it does is it speaks to the cloud savvy of the organization. This is another Hmm. reason why I look at developer shops more often, because they generally live in a more impermanent state because of the rate of software development. You have to be in a state of flux to keep up with a lot of the changes that are happening uh, in the software development world, especially open source. So teams like that are more uh, willing to say, okay, well, what if we pull the data store out of there, put it somewhere else, and now we've just got these applications that are running. Um, how do we get them more portable? How do we get them to live outside of the VM? What parts can be lost? How could we restart parts of it? And as long as you're looking at the right types of applications, Andy's right. You can save some money in the cloud. But the problem is a lot of organizations don't think of it that way. They're like, we used to do outsourcing. We know what we're doing. Just let us in the data center and we'll start building stuff right now. And before you know it, they've got a whole bunch of long running workloads that they're paying for by the minute or or by the second as opposed to buying them up front. So yeah, that's a horrible ROI. And you were definitely going to end up spending a lot more money on those workloads than you did running them in your own data centers. The only saving grace is that your total cost of ownership comes as a bill from the vendor, instead of having to wonder where all the costs actually live. Okay, that's not bad, but it's not it's not the value that you're looking for.
2: (laughs) No, yeah, no. Andy's right. I hear the same thing. It's like, oh no, no. Why would you pay for power and then you know buying a server and then you know renting the space and then the you know they. It's funny when you talk about. (laughs) Uh, total cost of ownership. It's like somebody's <laughs> doing like a, a a revenue profit, a PNL or something. They're like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, all right. Well, we made twenty two widgets today, and it's fifteen cents per kilowatt hour for power. Uh, the air conditioning costs like you're really gonna do that? Like each widget costs us fourteen dollars and sixty three cents. Like like you were sure. saying earlier, it's like no one has. Uh, that well not i say no one most most enterprises don't have that it's granularity yeah, yeah that that granularity of like especially like when you talk about the the cost center right cost center being like the different uh, department within the enterprise that has their own budget and all that other kind of stuff right so it's right. like no one is keeping for the most part that that good at track so so it almost begs the question like when someone's like okay well we're going to move to the cloud so we can save some money you know, if they would just have somebody like my wife and I watch Shark Tank all the time, right? And they, <laughs> you guys ever watch that? Such a good show. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, I love it. Um, but Mark Cuban's always like, "Well, what? Wh- tell me, you know, what's your cost goods? What's it landed? You know, all this other stuff." And, and half the time, people are like, "Uh, like I don't know." Well, half these places don't have a Mark Cuban in there going, "Hey, what is <laughs> what did you pay for that? Well, what is this guy doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're they're just kind of like, oh, cloud, kind of like Andy and I just are." Dude, I signed up for a free AWS account because I thought it was going to be the bee's knees too. I mean, turns out it's not free either, by the way.
1: to uh, <laughs> yeah, be careful uh, but, with the free uh, Yeah, you really do.
2: Uh, I'll be honest. The one thing I did learn and I learned really well was the first thing that I should do is go in there and set up the billing alerts and the threshold. That the one number one. That's yeah, the one thing
0: I did. That's the first thing I did when I started studying cloud. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Billing alerts like, and, and threshold. No, that's good news, friends. That's good news. <laughs>
2: yeah we didn't we certainly didn't want to come over here and disappoint
0: you so so <laughs> you may or may not save money right I, so I, but I, I feel like that's the big sales pitch that that people give like for my seat part it seems like the biggest advantage to cloud is the speed at which you can deploy something because i i can tell you working for a software company for us to order circuits get them in stand up gear get it all conf- like for us to bring up something live yeah, it could take six months, depending on all the processes and how long mm, Telco yeah. takes. And but if you oh, yeah. have if you have a cloud presence and you want to spin up something new, I mean, how fa- You know, pretty quickly, right? Like you can get something going. one in days, maybe? Like a new service, just boop.
1: Um, I mean, it literally could be minutes to seconds right. to bring things online. Uh, when you get into like integration and backend pieces that need to talk to each other, that's where stuff gets really complex which is why I was kind of saying that when organizations are looking at how to address cloud options, um, we look at the, the capacity planning problem. So if you are uh, a software development shop and you have a lot of server churn that's happening, those are probably pretty good workloads that don't run regularly, things that can be turned on and off. You're working with a highly skilled group of individuals who are comfortable running a new technology. Those are all check, 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 good marks for me. Um, but if you're talking about trying to take this massive system that you depend on day to day, week to week, and don't understand all of the cost and element components of it, then, yeah, that, that's going to be really, really hard for us to move it to the cloud and get it to run in a state which will return the value that you're looking for and on the timelines that you're talking about there. Um So what I love to do is work with serverless teams who are actually able to craft what they call cloud native applications. <clears throat> this would be where you're like running an AWS, a series of lambdas. That that? Would be- hold on, hold on, hold on. <clears throat> Keep sorry, in mind,
2: we're well, we're 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 allergic, we're allergic <laughs> to to cloud. So
0: back back, I'll up, give from, it to you. <laughs> back up from back from lambda because I still don't understand serverless. How can something? Uh, yeah, be serverless? that's what I was going to say.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's nonsense, okay. right? Sure, sure. So when we say serverless, <laughs> like, yeah, it is the easiest thing to like replace it with is to recognize that you're talking about managed services. That that's what we mean by serverless. You're not not using servers, there's compute, there's network, there's RAM, there's storage that's happening back there. But the cloud vendor has enabled you through a platform to not have to focus on those layers. And it can be a couple of different degrees. You might be thinking, do we mean containers? Yeah, containers are part of that, but there's still a lot of work to containers, as opposed to looking like uh, Azure Blob Storage or looking at uh, Amazon S3. Those are services where the only thing you talk to is an API on the other side of it, and you Hmm. can do it through the management console, you can do it through a massive ecosystem of third-party products, or you can write your own software to talk to those systems. And you never touch a storage component, you never touch a network component in the background, you never deal with resource outages, you never deal with the performance or scaling parts of it, those are hallmarks of serverless. They can scale to an extremely high degree, they are managed to a high degree, and it allows you to largely focus on the differentiating logic of what the application or component does, and not the implementation and management of it. Those are those are hallmarks of what serverless is. Uh, you don't really want to pin it down to one definition. You want to think about some of the characteristics of a serverless application that, that, that helps, uh, okay. for me. So API driven is very a key part of that. Mm. Super abstracted for you. Typically, you're thinking about a series of calls that you're making to get the system to do something as opposed to running an operating system and patching it and supporting it and putting it to bed at night and buying it birthday presents. Um, you mm. know, all of those kind mm. of funny systems operations pieces that, Add to the complexity of cost of ownership. When S3 just charges me for the amount of space that I consume and the number of calls I make to it, that is a very different consumption model than what almost every traditional ops team is used to dealing with. And therein lies the problem with trying to get the right value out of cloud. We're not talking the same language and we're not looking at it in the right lenses mm-hmm. um, from the very beginning. So it is really a very big, uh, big bridge to cross for a lot of teams. One thing that I try to get teams thinking about is cloud champions. Um, one of the things that our team does at CBT is having centers of excellence around individual team members. So if I have 12 software developers, I don't want them all to be experts in the same thing. I right. want to have an expert here, an expert here, mm. different technology A, B, C, D. And I want them to be able to collaborate together so that my entire team works better than the individual components themselves. Mm. And so, Having cloud champions and having people specialize in specific areas of functionality, these are all good patterns that fit the cloud software development model and the cloud utilization model. That It gives us a chance to consume a really wild ecosystem. AWS has like hundreds of products and services that they use with thousands of features. You could never expect anyone to know it. I live in that space and I don't know at all oh, I, that, that actually I live in diamond so my documentation better. abilities. I mean, that—that—that that, that is what I do. I know how to find the answers, not uh, the exact answer. And, and it's, it's sad, but you got to know that that's, you yeah. cannot realistically take it all on. That's I, not,
0: I started not going, going down happen. the AWS path and, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get my, you know, architect associate. And I was, I was going through Adrian Cantrell's class from Linux <laughs> Academy. And, I got about a month in and realized how dense and how deep this was and was like, (laughs) I don't know if I have the time, you know, I got three other things I got to learn. So I actually bailed at that point just because, yeah, I'm amazed at how much is going on in, in, in the cloud. It's, I don't know how you guys know it all. It's amazing. Hey folks, this is Andy. When you have someone as prolific as Bart Castle on your show, it can easily turn into two episodes. So that's what we're doing here. This is the end of episode one and we will see you next week for part two of Fart Castle. See you then.
1: Hey everyone, this is AJ. If you like what you heard today, then make sure you subscribe to our podcast and your favorite podcatcher. Smash that bell icon to get notified of all of our future episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Art of Net Eng. That's Art of N-E-T-E-N-G. You can also find us on the web at artofnetworkengineering.com where we post all of our show notes. You can read blog articles from the co-hosts and guests, and also a lot more news and info from the networking world. Thanks for listening.